0: Starting about 250 years ago, when colonization began in the 1700s, that was the beginning of severe genocide of our people. Forced slavery, killing, cultural suppression, and stealing of our lands. Our people were forced off of their lands and taken into the missions, and this was really devastating to our people, and to many other cultures that went through this as well. All of our lands were given away, and we had very few places to return home to. And the California genocide was the killing of thousands of indigenous peoples all over California by the U.S. government and other governments. You know, it wasn't until 1924 by the Indian Citizenship Act that American Indians were even given the full birthright citizenship. And we didn't gain the right to vote until 1957. So we're dealing with. You know, generations of cultural suppression. And we've had to continue to fight for our right to have a voice to be heard, to be able to steward the lands, to regain some of our ancestral lands, and to also regain some of our ancestors' remains.
1: Welcome to Voices of Esalen, I'm Sam Stern. Today we're sharing a conversation that took place between members of the Esalen Tribe of Monterey County and the Esalen Institute. Representing the Esalen Tribe of Monterey County are Jan and Nason, and Steven Vicente Arvalo. Jana Nason is an Esalen and Rumson descendant and an enrolled tribal member of the ETMC. She is the nonprofit secretary and serves on the tribal council as tribal administrator and secretary, publications chair and cultural resource committee member. She also manages the cultural archeological monitoring program and serves her tribe in that capacity. She's dedicated to education and preserving and protecting the cultural heritage and ancestral sacred sites. Stephen Aravalo is an Eslin and Rumson descendant. He currently serves on the ETMC Tribal Council as well as on the Cultural Resource Committee. Stephen serves his tribe on many levels and is a tribal, cultural, archaeological monitor. He is deeply passionate about his ancestry and has started a language relearning class for tribal members. He is an educational speaker and an active community member. Representing Eslin Institute is Douglas Drummond. Douglas serves as the Director for Healing Arts and Somatics and the Director of Community Alliance at Eslin Institute. He is also faculty there. Douglas is originally from Aotearoa, New Zealand, and now makes his home in Big Sur, California in Esalen territory with his family. Hello, Jana, Steven, Douglas. Thank you all so much for joining me today on Voices of Eslin to have a conversation that I feel like is a long time coming with Eslin Institute and the Esalen tribe. I'll just say that I'm in a state of deep gratitude and deep humility to have you all on the show and speaking from your mind and and speaking from your hearts. And my intention with this dialogue is to be a listener and be a learner and to honor you all for your dedication to the path that you walk. To kick off this conversation, I would love it if each of you could introduce yourself and uh, speak about the work that, that you do in this world.
0: satsa, that's good morning in Esalen. I'm Jana Nason. First and foremost, I'm a steward of the land and a voice of the people. Um, but in today's terminology, my official title would be um, a tribal council member, as well as I serve our nonprofit as our secretary and
2: administrator. Salakia Satsa, Nishismab Steven Arevalo, uh, good morning, my name is Stephen Orobro. I'm a tribal council member for Esalen Tribe of Monterey County, as well as a culture bearer, storyteller, song song holder. And that's that's pretty much my position in the universe right now.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, kia ora. my name is Douglas Drummond. Um, I'm currently at Esalen Institute, currently on Esalen territory. And uh, I serve as the director of Healing Arts and Somatics and the director of Community Alliance at the Esalen Institute. And thanks, Sam, for having us on the show. Thank you, Jonah. Thank you, Stephen. Real honor to have you here. Thank you. Thank
0: you. You Traditionally, we would be meeting face to face and we would have a fire and we would come with gifts. Uh, We would share a meal and we would offer prayers and songs and trying to bring our cultural traditions now into this modern world. We like to um, enter our space in that traditional way to carry those on. Um, And I would love to share prayer and Maybe Stephen can share a song. I don't sure, know how it would sound with both of us singing, so I'm going to leave that to you, Stephen. Okay. <clears throat> and I want to share a little story about this prayer first. Just a few years ago, I didn't know this entire prayer, but these words and phrases kept popping up in me, and I didn't know where they were from. And so I asked some of my elders, I said, you know, these sounds, these, these phrases are coming up, and um, I'm, I'm not sure where, where I learned it. And my uncle, Tom Little Bear, said, you know, those are songs and prayers that you had heard many times in ceremony as a child. And it could also just be your body remembering. So it's really special. And I, I re I relearned that prayer from him. And I just want to honor that. And we like to do that. We like to share where we learn the song. Because the knowledge is not knowledge of our own, but what our ancestors have given us. And this is an Esalen prayer. Ike neshmette. Ike Nishiapa Quelmehe Enikeat Satsano la Nesh Met Peleno Chapishi no Alpa Kalun no Alpa Memin no Alpa lasname Name Yakiki Le mapele Namoeske Yes my grandfather Yes my grandmother Thank you for this day and for my life We pray for the birds we pray for the fish we pray for the deer Great spirit please purify our bodies and our souls. E.K.
4: E.K. Hmm. And the
2: song that I'll be singing is a celebration song. So, um, and celebration that we're, we are coming together, even digitally. Uh, I always like to open up space with either a celebration song or uh, a song of rejoicing of some sort. So this is a, Actually recorded through uh, both of our ancestor, one of our ancestors, um, Viviana Mukai, in 1902, um, and this is a celebration song.
4: Iye, ayelena, toa toa, 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 iye, ayelena. To-a-to-a-y-ye, ay-elena. Toa toa ie a yelena, Toa toa ea a Toa toa towato wa yelena, Toa toa ea a yelena, Toa toa ea a yelena, Toa toa ea Toa 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 ie a Toa toa ie a to. Toa.
0: that was beautiful.
3: That was beautiful, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you for your prayer too, Jana. Wow. Kwelmehe, Hilapa. <laughs> thank you.
1: Yes, thank you so much for the prayer and, and song. You know, I, th- I thought a good way to, to start this discussion and conversation, if you're open to it, would be for Jana and Stephen sharing a bit about the history of the Esalen tribe.
2: Okay, well, there's a couple of really good uh, facts that we can kick off. And one is that we are the smallest tribe, not only in California, pr- pretty much on the continent. We're one of the smallest tribes population-wise. Um, we've been the smallest tribe for For as long as we can remember, we've always been the smallest tribe in population, Um, but we're one of the oldest tribes. So we've been around for, according to latest carbon dating, 97 to 10,000 years here in the same area, but we've also been displaced through time. So before the the last deluge or the last rising of the waters um, in which our creation story comes from, Our homeland was from Monterey County, from the Big Sur area up to San Francisco, um, where nowadays uh, modern-day Ohlone descendants come from. So before that time, that was all Esalen territory. As the water rose and people ran up to the mountaintops, as the the water went down again and resided again, other tribes started to take over the land because it was so much open land after the deluge. Um, so many people have passed away from that last cataclysm. So there was a um, Miwakan invasion, what they call the Panuchian invasion, about 25 to 4,500 years ago. And those particular people amalgamated with our people, and what and that created the Ohlone people that we have from the Ramatush down to the Rumsen. This is all solidified through language. All the language of the Ohlone, they all have esalen language within their their own language and that's because as they were coming from inland they didn't know any of the coastal things they didn't know about seaweed and fish and whales and sharks so all that language came from excellent hokan um, speakers and so you will see evidence of our culture within the alone culture um, as far north as San Francisco and that's uh, that's a lot of the pre-deluge history and then after that we've survived and We've created five rancherias that are our people. After that, let's see. So the deluge took place, and uh, it was coyote, hummingbird, and eagle at the top. And they had to wait. So they had to wait for the water to reside. And then eagle told coyote to go look for his wife, go look for somebody else, go look for life elsewhere. And so coyote roamed the, the homeland until he found a woman at the river. And when he found a woman at the river, he asked Eagle, how would he then populate? How does he populate with this woman so that they can continue life on, on the continent or within the homeland? And so he asked if he if he put put it in her elbow and the eagle's like, no, well, where do you put in? And the hummingbird blurts out, you put in in, in the stomach, silly. And so the coyote gets frustrated and tries to attack the hummingbird. but The hummingbird hides within uh, the eagle and is protected. He goes out and he finds his wife and he tries to. So he then impregnates her um, by telling Eagle told him to tell her, pick a, a flea off of off of you and eat it. So the woman did so and she becomes pregnant, but she gets scared about being pregnant. So she then runs to the ocean and jumps into the ocean and turns into the little sand fleas. And she jumps into the ocean and disappears. So Coyote had to then look for another wife. And so he found another woman at a river. And actually had a child with her. And they, they actually had a family in a village. And he started a village. And then later on, he got lonely. Coyote was lonely with just his family around. So he begged his wife three times to, to take on another wife. Um, because we need, he's, as he said, we needed neighbors. There's no neighbors around. And so he took on, um, a, she said no three times. And then the final time, she finally said, yes, go look for another wife. And Coyote being the trickster that he is he ran around singing a, a song on a flute to bring that vibration of come to me, like a come to me song. And he actually, five women actually came to him. Five other women came to him. And so he had five other wives and he created the rancherias of our people by having those multiple wives after the flood and after the deluge. So that's uh that's like two mythologies, two or three stories kind of mashed in one, but that's the gist of our creation story and how, um, our people have different nations so there's um uh, there's the rumsen there's the Ekhhan there is the Kakunta Sarhentaruk um, there's the Edshilap, and I believe there is the kalendaruk which is more like moss landing area and those are the five rancherias mm-hmm.
3: Stephen, you like the way you describe your storytelling, and you speak so much from the heart, and also the way in which you're also in the mind about the history and fossil record and so forth, and knowing the ancestral line. Like, is this something that's quite like common in youth and indigenous youth and SLN youth. And just, it's interesting, you are Jana and Stephen, the next generation of leadership and holding the tribe and so forth. But where does that passion come from? Um, and is it common, I guess, in others and how you share it?
2: Yeah, I would say everybody has, uh, everybody of the younger group of our age, I would say mid 30, 20, everybody has their niche within the tribe. Everybody has their particular um, passion whether it's learning you know physical basket weaving or songs or mythology someone's focusing on something and everybody within our age group kind of has those niches even subconsciously even if they're not actively using it everybody sees the skills everybody else has and and their focus um and in the conglomerate of the tribe and how it works for the tribe i've i've seen yeah definitely more people within like our age group like i i would say their inner ancestor fire waking up and and kind of that remembrance of of things and just naturally being really good at whatever they're doing when it comes to culture. And it's, it's amazing to watch actually for, for different reasons, but it's, it's gratifying to see that it's just in your DNA to keep doing this, to keep doing this. Um, We've never stopped doing it. There's been gaps in times where people have kind of just fell off of practicing the culture, but in the conglomerate, the the lines and the people and the families have never really stopped doing ceremony or partaking in culture in any way, shape or form. So it's very interesting to see how everybody comes back and has their strengths for the the village.
0: And I just wanna back up and add a little bit more to our history here to give a little bit more context as to why we are the way we are now and how we've developed as individuals. You know, and we're here now Uh, The story really started, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, but starting about 250 years ago, um, when colonization began in the 1700s, that was the beginning of severe genocide of our people, forced slavery, killing, cultural suppression, and stealing of our lands. Um, Our people were forced off of their lands and taken into the missions. And this was really devastating to our people and to many other cultures that Um, went through this as well. Um, All of our lands were given away and we had very few places to return home to. And the California genocide was the killing of thousands of indigenous peoples all over California and many other places in the world uh, by the U.S. government and other governments. You know, it wasn't until 1924 by the Indian Citizenship Act that um, American Indians were even given the full birthright citizenship. And we didn't gain the right to vote until 1957, which that's the year my mom was born. That was not long ago. So we're dealing with you know generations of cultural suppression and we've had to continue to fight for our right to have a voice to be heard, to be able to steward the lands, to regain some of our ancestral lands and to also regain some of our ancestors' remains. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's evolved through time and, you know, I believe we're kind of here now because we're wanting to be in right relations with the land and one another and teach people the truth of what happened. Um, and Steven and I specifically have really, really deep ties to this area. Um, uh, my, my lineage never left this area. Um, we stayed here in Big Sur and Carmel Valley since before it was recorded, you know, before it, before any records were developed. And I sat and watched as my family before me, my dad, my uncle, my grandfather, they were stewards of the land. They fought to be a voice for the fish and the trees and the ocean and the people and so it just became embedded in me as it did with Stephen because he he watched his family and learned about his family doing it. And so we have this inherited responsibility to carry this on. And our next generation are the culture bears and the storytellers and the land protectors and the protectors of our citizens. And our history has really shaped who we are today. Every day I say in gratitude that we get to do this, that we get to be that voice. So I just wanted to add a little bit more context as to why Stephen and I are so involved and you know how we're kind of in these roles today.
2: I'm going to add on that that a lot of that history is still taking place. Um, A lot of the cycles are just now being broken we're in the seventh generation of, away from our village site and our enslavement now. So this is why you have this insur- a res- resurgence of young people coming and having their ancestor flame reawaken. We are that seventh generation right now. Me, Janna, are literally seventh generations away from our enslavement or f- from the village site itself. So when we talk about those prophecies, this is this is very real in a physical sense for us. And. Uh, very important times that we're in. And it's not just Esalen people. This is all over. This is going on globally. This is this is the Maori people in New Zealand. This is seven generations from all of that it's going on. And if there's been generations, so we talk about history like Europe's been colonized for even longer. We're talking Roman times. So they would be every four every seven generations. So every 14, 21 generations, it happens every seven from their colonization Um, and so everybody's waking up it's not just an indigenous movement it's a global indigenous movement people are coming back to their culture everywhere and it's just um, for us it's important because we're so small like we're literally like the smallest tribe and to have this surgence of energy and ancestral activity within our people is very important to us and very um sacred
1: so powerful. Thank you both for sharing that so deeply and, and educating. My heart's really opening in in hearing this story and just so grateful to, to both of you for speaking this, not just to me, but to the to the wider audience. You know, a question that comes up for me is just what what desires do both of you have for your life? What do you what do you want to see through the work that you're doing? What What will enable you to feel that you've you've lived a good life?
2: Yeah sure um for me i guess my i i get more fulfillment from seeing it's it's like passing my flame so as long as i can pass my flame to other tribal members and non-tribal members because uh, my flame is that i'm uh, i'm a bridger by by being a culture bearer i can bridge information and and mythologies and culture so i'm i'm trying to light people's flames all the time so my at the end goal is to light as many other people's ancestral flame as possible, get other people to remember who they are and, and, and their DNA, their downloads and start getting that living on a higher vibrational uh, plane of existence than what we've been living here as, you know, corporate enslavement is as a, a rampant as like we're focused on more physical instead of focusing on our inner energy and our chakra system and how we actually operate within the grand grid of what we call earth. So that's, that's my life goal.
0: And for me, it really started long ago. Um, I'll just jump back to my history. I was really fortunate as a, as a young child that we had a ceremonial village up at my family's land in Carmel Valley. And we would hold many ceremonies and gatherings. We're considered the northernmost roundhouse people. So we had an earth lodge that was half underground, half above ground that could hold many people. and our parents would let us be in all the ceremonies. It's really this beat of this drum and this sound and this feeling of this ceremony that has lived on in me since I was a child. And that has been my flame. We have so many tribal citizens that have been displaced from this area and haven't been able to reconnect with their ancestral lands or maybe be a part of a ceremony. And I wanna make sure that They can have that same feeling that I have within me, because it's a great inspiration and it's um, a deep honor and a gift.
1: Shall we discuss land acknowledgement? Sure. To start just in a really a, a simple way what is a land acknowledgement why is it important
0: mm-hmm. sure maybe i can start um you know land acknowledgement is really a traditional customary way for native communities and communities all over the world to show their respect to the peoples of the land and we do this by giving offerings and prayers and For non-indigenous communities, um, a land acknowledgement is a really powerful way of showing your respects and honoring the indigenous peoples of the land which they may live or work on. You know, and all an all acknowledgement is a simple way of resisting the erasure of indigenous histories and working towards honoring um, and inviting the truth.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Traditionally, even when you moved from one place to another, what you would normally do is you bury you bury tobacco and you acknowledge like you you acknowledge those tribes as well as set those intentions and those prayers and songs down, and then you bury an offering of um, whatever your herb mix is, mugwort, tobacco, whatever, and you bury it into the soil to give thanks to the people uh, in that particular land, and that would that was a a, a very traditional way to do things. Even when I had moved around, I I, I practiced that uh, particular practice because I understood that uh, if I'm moving into that land, I'm becoming part of, I'm integrating into that community, and if I'm walking on that soil, it's the same thing. I'm integrating into that tribal community. So you have to do that within a spiritually correct place. And a lot of us are so um, unaware of that those practices that we just move from place to place and we don't understand. A lot of us don't understand that why we do that. But it has to deal with acknowledging the tribes and acknowledging the ancestors that have been there for thousands of years and who have sacrificed their lives to protect that area and steward that area and and nurture that area. It's a very important thing to do when we talk about setting intention even for your home. So if you move into a a new spot, you want to set your intention and kind of clear that space out so you can build your own family there and your own energy there. And uh, that's what you do with land acknowledgement.
1: And Douglas, do you think that you could speak a bit about thoughts around land acknowledgement at Esalen with either the work that you're doing or the plans that the Institute has?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Yeah, well, well very um, respectfully and, and humbly, you know, I've had an opportunity to, um, to represent Esalen Institute and, and also myself and my family too, my, my family involved in, in healing and reconciliation in Aotearoa, New Zealand for two generations, me um, being the third and just acknowledging to the work of previous uh, leadership in Esalen Institute, and acknowledging Gordon Wheeler, who's currently our board president, who has had a long-standing uh, relationship with uh, Little Bear Tom Nason, um, and with the Esalen Tribe of Monterey County, and to be able to um, carry some of the work or well, a lot of the work forward that he initially started in that communication. And many, many, many people that lived at Esalen Institute and worked here, including my dear father-in-law, Richard Haran, who was part of, you know, original gardening and landscaping, you know, who was um, had a strong, deep intuition and heart when working in the gardens and uncovering artifacts and, and remains too, and to be in communication and to bring those forward to the tribe. And all of those relationships and ways has helped set a really wonderful foundation, I believe, to now... And perhaps to echo, Stephen, your work around the seven generations, you know, there is an intuition and a calling that wants to bridge and connect. I can't think of a single current staff member and certainly incoming staff in the past that have wanted to know more about the land. And it's always synonymous with the people of the land. So the timing has become quite a big groundswell. I think Esalen, by our name, perhaps had good intentions in naming, um, but along the way has just perhaps not lost its path, but just perhaps it wasn't clear how important it was to really acknowledge the land and acknowledge the people. And so there have been initiatives, but now that real timing has, has really become quite ripe and through good hearts and clear conversations and many, many listening circles. And again, just honouring many, many people who collaborate on the process. The list is long and long and long. Um, I play just a small part in that. Um, however, I've got a big beating heart about how to reach and connect um, with all Indigenous people. But certainly in my role as this work as a director in this community alliance work, um, has been finding ways in which we can perhaps connect with the Esseline tribe in different ways, um, and also a much more of a collaborative way. Um, And after many discussions, we have a land acknowledgement event that we are working on for the 13th of November. And very much in 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 a conversation, a talk story way, for instance you know we are we are stewards and we're hosting and um, we are stewards of the land here and also in many ways for me we're stewards hosting and looking after land on behalf of the esterline tribe and holding that space for them too and honoring and then finding ways in which we're bridging the tribe back into the land uh so the land acknowledgement itself um, you know led by the tribe we're just holding space and working logistics but a lot of our leadership um, our board is coming to join our operational leadership um, the tribe and I imagine some community members, too, that have been part of this relationship for a long time are joining. And then after land acknowledgement, we have a week long workshop um, where I'm co-leading with Carrie Herthel, who is the vice chair of the Esalen Tribe of Monterey County and an elder and a medicine woman. Speak humbly and respectfully um, for a week long, with a lot of that work around land acknowledgement. So important for me, too, is that we're sort of putting at this this event, the landed lodgement itself, just to set set a course for us, perhaps we'll have some regularity and, and what form it takes, we'll find out. Um, but really, it is just a, a punctuation point, just a punctuation point in a long journey, and storytelling and action between the Esalen Tribe of Monterey County and Esalen Institute. Um, and um, my my heart and my mind um, and my communication is set forward that. There'll be many more chapters written afterwards.
0: Yeah, and if I can just add, you know, we said before that we're in this time of reawakening, and I really believe that now more than ever native communities as well as non-native communities are wanting to learn how to be in right relations with the land and with the first people that came from that land and so we've had this beautiful journey and now more than ever we want to do better than we've done before we want to take those steps and follow through and it's been a really beautiful journey and we're excited to have the land acknowledgement it's just really special time Mm
3: Sam, you know, you asked about some other, you know, work, and I I say the word, you know, it's quite difficult to express the energy and the connection, but the initiatives that we've been working on, in a sense, for lack of better words, um, you know, the land acknowledgement being, in a sense, what we've been talking about, but ways in which we are integrating in our programming and our offerings. um, Our education is really key, and, you know, one of our real key values at the Institute here, too. So, even working on... Sort of poster, shadow box boards, um, just areas, places of worship or contemplation um, that are very much led and designed by the tribe and the content of them working with the tribe. Um, just to really, I think, just the start. How do we start steeping um, our staff and our education and our direction hand in hand with the tribe? been really, really important. And I say those words like with like a very full heart, but just with a certain like timing. It's like going slow. And I, I use this analogy of taking these baby steps, and and I was talking to to little bear Tom Nason about these baby steps, and being like, "Well, wow, we've taken baby steps for a long time." <laughs> I'm sort of like, "Well, you know, I just really honor the tribe and giving me that timing." to kind of like to go and be methodical and go slow. Um, but just adoring. I'm thinking of my dear daughter, Olivia, too, of these baby steps and how quickly they've turned into quite a powerful gait and some amazing direction. And we're working together in a really beautiful way that way. So, yeah, it's humble and it's reverent. And I'm always grateful for the tribe and their huge patience as the Institute kind of trips and stumbles and, and is learning from a crawl into a walk. But we are making some really positive steps and it's going to be an exciting space to watch in the future.
2: And, and as
3: Janice said,
2: there's more and more people who want to know how to acknowledge the land and what better way to learn than from the people who actually are the original stewards of the land in any place. So no matter where you're at, you can be in Phoenix, Miami, Atlanta, you know, when you want to do an land acknowledgement, you should touch base with the indigenous group of that particular territory because Every way we we all acknowledge our land differently. There's all different. Everybody has their own ceremony and prayer and, and work and whatever they're doing that they're doing on the land. There's um, there's particular practices for those regions for a reason, that, and it's been going on for thousands of years. So um, not saying to necessarily hijack culture but which you can definitely acknowledge the land in a respectful way and if someone who's indigenous is handing you that medicine to do so because they see you actually honestly doing the work then it's not necessarily a hijack is it you're actually part of this community of stewards now you're part of this network of people who are honestly putting in good energy into the land and that's what's important about land It's not just this physical, yes, this is excellent territory. Or yes, this is Rumson or Ramatouche territory or Cherokee territory. It's, it's actually putting an in intention and, and work and time and meditation into what, what we're doing. This is um, very much sacred and ceremonial and prayer work. And um, when we talk about that, um, that, that goes for anybody in their own personal way, however you do that for you. Um, but you can do that for you within the intention and setting of indigenous um, practice.
0: And yeah, to speak of the land that Esalen Institute is on now, that it's very sacred ground to our people. And if the ancestors in the land are unsettled, things happen, fires happen, floods happen, bad energy is around. And so Esalen Institute has met us in conversations on how to live and work on the land with reciprocity and in a respectful way. And we've been able to really um, build upon this relationship to have a better understanding and to help the visitors, uh, the employees, residents have a better understanding as well.
1: How can Esalen be in right relationship with Esalen Tribe? What would be the elements of a good, respectful, useful, generative relationship from your perspectives?
0: For me, I'm heavily focused on protecting the cultural resources and making sure the land isn't overused. And so making sure that we have a good plan to respect the land, uh, to walk gently and to help educate along the way. So those people can carry that through the other areas of their life. Speaking of right relations, part of it is helping to amplify the voice of the tribe to encourage the truth-telling of the correct history, uh, to be in an ally, and a friend, supporter, a brother, and a sister. That's really important to us. That's really important to me.
2: For me, being in right relation would be being in constant contact with us, being in constant communication with us, uh, allowing us to hold space there when we need to, when we feel the need to, because we're not we're not going there in an intrusive way. We're going there in a, hey, this is needed way. This energy is needed here. There's there's stuff that needs to be done at this particular site. And it's not just your, you know, it's not just this site. We're doing it in many sites. We're going to a bunch of our sites to to do this particular work. Uh, I, I heard something interesting just yesterday, a matter of fact, that someone was telling me history of my own people, which I always think is funny, but they were telling me that, that those particular hot springs were, a center point for multiple tribes to come through and to do. And I said, if that's true, it's because they had permission from our tribe to come. There was a welcoming there. There wasn't an intrusion of people. I said, the way you're telling it, it sounds like an erasure of this site even being our site, when in all actuality, that particular site is an excellent site. It's known for years that it's an excellent site, hence why the name is even placed on the, on the Institute. But when I heard the story yesterday, it kind of threw me back like, Hey, this is this is what people are thinking out there, that this, these particular sites are just community sites and anybody can go here and they've been doing it for thousands of years. You know, And I said, yeah, and uh, respectfully, they did it when they got welcomed and they came with gifts and they came bearing gifts. And, and no one's doing that with the tribe now. No one's bearing gifts with the tribe now like we would traditionally. And that's not what we're asking. What we're asking is you, the land acknowledgement, the intention, the, the, the inclusion is the gift. The inclusion is, yes, the, the property is obviously owned privately, or, you know, as a, it's not, it's not public land, but there's a way in order to have a positive relationship that's very give and take and not just take, 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 or use, use, use on any which way, not not from the tribe, not from the Institute. Um, There's a matter of balance there. And I think that just that constant communication and allowance of even just physical prayer, presence, ceremony every once in a while, doing things that we we feel the need to do on equinoxes and full moons and new moons and, and things like that is enough. In my eyes, it's a, it's a start, you know, and, and, and you could build on that. It's enough of a start to build on and keep building on until we have this, this great structure, uh, which is, you know, um, tied into our personal relationships as well as professional relationships with everybody that's involved.
0: Yeah. And the- the waters of Esalen, the waters that are on, run through Esalen Institute are very sacred to our people. And traditionally it'd be used for healing. People would, our peoples would travel to that location or to toss our hot springs or to Sykes to heal themselves. There are records of people making their journey specifically to those places to heal. And so without access to those places, that's kind of like taking away part of our traditional medicine. So being able to access those for traditional ways, is very important. And that helps us to be able to carry on our cultural traditions and practice our traditional medicine ways.
2: And which in turn helps everybody else, because if we're healthy, then we're doing the prayer work in the land. The land's going to be healthy. Everything's going it, to it's an inner interconnected situation. It's it's um how would I say it? It's like a bio It's like we we live off of each other. The humans that are living on this land are, are living off of the the land itself. So there's that interconnectedness. And if we have the ability to keep healing ourselves when we do get sick from doing this prayer work and healing work, um, because as we know, if you're if you're trying to cure and clean the land and and pray over things, you're you're getting yourself dirty in order to clean something else. So you have to have a place to clean yourself. And those hot springs were a place for us to go ahead and release any spiritual bad energy or bad medicine that was attached to after cleaning or just being in any of contact with any of those type of things Um, those hot springs would even physical ailments would uh, help us and so having access to that would continue that relationship.
1: thing that comes to mind as I listen to this, I I think about really being in right relationship and a necessity to avoid tokenizing the folks is doing the internal work to be ready for an actual relationship. So I wanted to pose the question to both of you. What kind of internal work do you think is necessary for people or an institution that is desiring to be in, in right relationship? That's a good
2: question. I would say acknowledging where you're living is one of the main things you can do is acknowledge wherever you're living at. If you're not from there, acknowledge it and read the history and figure out what really went on in that because there's a reason why the energy set now in these particular areas is because of a lot of bad things that happened. So I've, I've had people come down to the Monterey County and say, whoa, this energy feels really intense and sad and And it's like, yeah, because people were ripped out of their village sites and people were enslaved here. There's a lot of energy that's unstill, and we're doing the work now. But if you don't, you have to, if you're aware of that kind of thing, you have to, um, you're going to have to acknowledge it. And that's part of the land acknowledgement is acknowledging the history and the atrocities that happened. Um, So that would, for me, that would be the initial thing to work on for everybody who's not already interconnected to community, indigenous community is. Acknowledge what happened, truly happened, the true history, not the not the embellished, romanticized history that they teach you in history school. No, go read first contact. Go read point of contact journals. Go read what was really happening in those areas. The reports. Go, you could read all this stuff. It's public um, information. You can literally Google and search um, PDF files on. You know the the journals of uh, Batista or the journals of Portola or uh, Palou or any of these other Spaniards. They all wrote first point of contacts on, on all all the atrocities and all the things that they were doing. Um, they didn't hide. They didn't have to hide. So they were writing it all down. So you can literally um, do that work as you're just learning about us, just learning our history. Take time to do it because it's it's a lot of it's a lot of reading. So be prepared.
4: <laughs>
0: I think helping to. Bring Indigenous peoples to conversations, whether it's on land stewardship, interpretive information, it could, it could be many things, but making sure that those people that you're having the discussion around are in the conversation, helping to amplify the voice, like I said before, you know, being truth tellers. Let's let's lead with let's lead with truth here of what, what really happened to our people. And for me, being in right relations with the land is really important. Um, So making sure that, you know, as citizens, we are staying aware of what's happening in our community, what's happening on our shorelines and on the land. Every 30 seconds in the world, a football field size of native landscape is bulldozed. If we keep going at that rate, we are in serious trouble. So making sure that we are being activists, we're out there protecting the fish, We're making sure we're really protecting our coastlines and our lands, the native species that live here, the endangered species that are struggling to survive.
3: Jana, one piece that's coming up for me and and our conversations with you too, Stephen, um, but Jana in particular, when we've been talking and we have quite regular chats, um, whether about between our committees or work inside and outside of the Institute and with the tribe, but for me, they've always been very um, like heart-opening conversations. You know, for me, it's been one of my greatest gifts and experience. It's a real privilege to have that this growth and this emotional intelligence to have very difficult conversations, um, and that's something I I always am distinctly humbled in the interaction I've had with the tribe, um, especially in relationship to Esslin Institute has been that heart-opening experience. And and a conversation that we had together in group um, was a sharing that you had um, about this time that we've had um, communication with the Eston Institute and with the tribe about piecing together a broken heart. And it was really touching. It, it still resonates with me now very, very strongly, and I've shared that with you too. Um, I just perhaps maybe you can reflect a little bit about that, you know, about this piecing together and, and how it's been a healing process, if any.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. What I explained was that we're on this journey now, and I feel like we're going around picking up these broken pieces of our ancestors' hearts and trying to put it back together. And it's not just with Esalen Institute, but it's many agencies. And we're trying to help right some of the wrongs that happened in history. And we carry this intergenerational trauma of our ancestors. Now we're moving through life trying to help rebuild that heart, put it back together. So we have conversations, for example, with state parks. You know, what are interpretive programs we can have? What kind of access can Indigenous people have to to our native lands and plants and medicine? You know, how can we protect sites? We're working with schools on the history that they teach. We work with private entities on various topics. And so, really, yes, we're going around picking up pieces of this broken heart and putting it back together so we can live as more complete humans and we can help heal our Mother Earth.
3: I think then it's such a gift, Jana, too, that you're, you're offering consciously or subconsciously to, like, for instance, our teams at the Institute to be able to hear and listen and see where those parts of our hearts that we also need to mend and bring back together that's been a really powerful partnering, you know, that healing process and that peace. And I really appreciate just always your integrity and real intelligence and just deep, deep hearts, you both, and how you represent the tribe in that way. Is it just such a beautiful gift that giving our staff this ability to see themselves and a relationship to the land that perhaps they haven't had before, that you are giving them an experience that for them is um. Is just so incredible in their development, and if that's not actualizing human potential, um, you know, we really need to be asking ourselves those real bigger questions. It's an unconditional gift, and I know I speak on behalf of them; they're very grateful. Just to piggyback on
2: that, I think another important thing is to, when it comes to mending these broken hearts and and the relationships with these agencies and, and and institutes and companies and things, is what I what I find the most frustrating is that. When I talk to people about who we are as a people and who we are as a tribe, there's always a separation between who we are as a person today and who our ancestors were back then. And there is no difference. There's no difference in my ancestors and me. I am my ancestor. It gets, it flusters me. It frustrates me when people say, well, you guys don't do that now. And it's like, well, you can't say that if you don't even know who we are. You don't even know that we're even present in the community. You can't say what, what we're doing or what we're not doing because you're not aware of even our presence here. A lot of people don't even know that we exist as a community within Monterey County. I've told people that I was Esalen and they thought that I init- I actually worked at the Institute or that I was tied to the Institute in some way. And I said, no, I'm actually the people. And they said, oh, I thought that's the name of the institute. And I said, well, that is the name of the institute, but that's also the name of my ancestors' people. You know what I mean? Like, this is our, this is our name as well. Mm-hmm. And so that a lot of people just don't have that knowledge, a lot of, out of sight, out of mind. You know, a lot of descendants don't look stereotypically like a native. Um, a lot of us are amalgamated. A lot of us have mixed European ancestry um, to certain degrees, different degrees. When you see us, we look like it. We blend in with everybody else. And you don't really, you can't really tell who's an Esalen Indian unless you're wearing shells and you got, you know, markings on your face or you're, you're wearing a feather somehow, somewhere you're in like almost a ceremonial setting. You're not going to know who we are on a day-to-day basis. But actually reaching out, you'll learn that there's plenty of people in the community that are indigenous, both Esalen and, and not even a non-Esalen. There's a lot of people that are just in the community that are of other tribes that are from everywhere. There's, I l- literally went to the homeland and met at least... 70 to 80 people from just different tribes, Chichimeca, uh, tribes from Mexico, tribes from Northern America, everywhere. There's all kinds. And just people just don't ask enough questions about people. We're not asking like, hey, how are you? What are you? Oh, you look so unique. We don't do that anymore. We're so not personal. With our conversation that it shows lack of, of knowledge of indigenous presence, um, lack of knowledge and culture with each other. Um, there's a there's a distinct there's like a cutoff. There's a there's a barrier right there for us as people um, of, of everybody, the whole community. It's not just it's not just focused on indigenous. It's like we don't we don't ask enough interpersonal questions to get to know each other anymore. We're not doing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's sad. And I think that has to do with technology, too, that we're so on the go we're so let's jump on zoom and handle the business that we don't really have hey how was your day oh you had a walk or hey you you know whatever you, you played soccer on the weekend like no one's doing that and that's the problem with acknowledging our presence and then differentiating us from our ancestors as well as there's this lack of communication and, and wanting to know anything
0: some of what you said Stephen, really makes me think of the term you know the token indian yep. and like you said like if i'm not Wearing my shells. Um, people may say, Oh, you don't look Indian. You don't look native. Well, what am I supposed to be carrying around a bow and arrow and wearing shells all the time? M- we're many shades of colors these days. We live in, we walk many different styles of life. And people expect us to be really outward facing when we're actually really private people. Um, our ceremonies were held in private, our dances were in private, stories that we shared were in private. So, it's an adjustment to be in these modern times while trying to educate people without compromising some of our traditions. But we're expected now, in a way, to go do a dance in front of people or sing songs. And that's not the setting that they were in previously. You know, songs were given as prayers or as gifts or traded. And many of those sharings were meant for really sacred times.
1: Very true. When I, when I hear this, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is that there's more than just a, a land acknowledgement, really, that's wanting to happen. It's a, it's a people acknowledgement. And, and it, what I also hear coming from you is, is a desire for folks to learn about your history, to take it upon themselves, to, to educate themselves. And you mentioned going on Google and, and reading first contact reports. Curious if there are any other books or movies that you feel are kind of like required reading or, or could be helpful in viewing in, in introducing folks who are new to this topic or conversation?
2: Sure. You can read the, I believe it's a 1922 book by Alfred Kroeber, The uh, Indians of California. There's also The Indianology of California by Alexander Smith Taylor. Both those books have interviews from uh, me and Jana's ancestors so um my i believe it's my fifth and i think it's both our fifth great grandfather salvador mukai and he was recorded in 1856 and the book was released in i believe ninth i would have to look but i'm i'm sure it's in the 1900s it's a very very old book um that was by alexander smith taylor and, and so he gave um language he gave mythology he was interviewed on a lot of different topics land territory, the the traditional, what we called um, like the Pajaro River, what was our northern territory, what was our southern territory. Um, There was a lot of details within that interview. And then in the Indians of California by Alfred Kroeber, his daughter was recorded in 1902. And she's actually also the one who was recorded singing the songs, the traditional songs into the wax cylinder. So um, both Salvador and Viviana Mukai are um, written in history. So it's like first contact according to our ancestors and specifically our, both of our lineage um, hails from those two ancestors.
0: And a great book to learn more specifically about the Esalen and our traditional lands is the Esalen Indians of the Big Sur Country by okay. Gary Grischini. You know, Sam, I had another comment on the land acknowledgement because many times there's this misunderstanding about land acknowledgements. People, you know, all of a sudden wanna be in right relations. So at their event, they, you know, decide they're gonna do a land acknowledgement. First, they call the tribe to ask if we can come do a land acknowledgement, but it's not our responsibility. It would be their responsibility to do the acknowledgement. And then it's not just those words that are stated but it's the actions that happen after that that is more important it's about the actions it's about taking those steps to be in right relations or maybe even starting those steps before your land acknowledgement
3: well well put very well put mm mm-hmm. yeah jana it's it's always it's like the way in which you can be, offer that clarity is really, really key, and I think to the ways in which we have some initiatives with the Esalen Institute is how do we amplify this voice? And you know, Sam just wanted to acknowledge you too, and and setting up and in holding this podcast and the way that you amplify voices and and amplifying this voice here currently with the Esalen tribe, it's really, it's really beautiful. And you know, Jana and Stephen always just empower you and, and always speak your truth and, and and the ways in which we collaborate with the Institute and with the tribe, it's really, really humbling and, you know, looking forward to to ways in which we're going to um, work together um, and also set, not necessarily for me, it's important to create a succession, you know, how do we keep these things in motion and always willingness and, and always incredible to, to be in your presence and seeing that, that same value being um, expressed through your words and your actions too.
0: Yes. You know, it's been a real, pleasure to be in these conversations when we entered in these conversations probably about two years ago now um, it came to the conversation with quite a bit of heaviness mm-hmm. and now I feel at a place of joy because on top of acknowledging the tribe we're getting to take those steps to be in right relations with the peoples in the land we're going to build a YANEP which is a place of worship at the Esalen Institute, where we can go pray and have offerings. And we'll have some educational information there where people and visitors can come by and um, learn some traditional ways of how to give an offering. We're excited that Esalen Institute is uh, helping to amplify our voice. Uh, We're going to be including more history info on the website um, and for visitors on site. So it's just been... um, like I said, it's been a it's been a joy. And I feel a lot lighter about the relationship. It's a lot more comfortable and it feels really positive. And I feel like we're taking these steps towards a better future. It really just warms my heart. And so thank you. And thank you for helping to share our story and our voices here today.
2: Yes, thank you. Um and for me, it's we're at powerful prophetic times. We're in very very strong energy um the vibration is very different than it was about 5 6 years ago even 10 years ago it's good to see and feel that that light that lightness about the relationship and and the fact that energy is is, is like i said right now it's a give and take so it's just building and swelling and building and swelling in a positive note and not, and not in a negative energy in a negative space. And that's where we as a tribe want to be. We just want to be in a positive building space with the Institute and have the Institute positively building with us in every way, shape and form comfortably for everybody. And I think that as long as we're in that mindset that, you know, sky's the limit with the relationship and we can really enjoy each other, build with each other and have a really good, uh, healthy relationship.
1: And how about for listeners who might feel inspired by this discussion, especially I'm thinking about people who are local to Big Sur or Monterey County, how might they be involved or, or volunteer or try to step into right relationship as well with Esalen people and tribe?
0: Yeah, something that is really on my agenda right now, um, and it's kind of those hard ass, and that's fundraising. You know, we're also a nonprofit. We're also trying to operate in a way that's efficient to protect cultural resources, to build education. Um, so we, uh, we're part of the MC Gives campaign in Monterey County this year, which starts soon. And just every dollar raised is a big help for us. It's a really big help. In volunteering, you know, volunteering, we, we love volunteers. We, we're working on building our kind of volunteer base a bit. We are actually gonna be having a all day community event on November 20th at Hacienda Hay and Feed where we're gonna be doing activities with kids. We'll be um, having storytelling, sharings. We'll be sharing food together and possibly even prepping some of that food together. So it'll be a really beautiful day and we'd love to see all of the community faces there. So feel free to come by
2: many thanks for the space holding and thank you for the time and moment in time that we've had together to come to converse and sit down and have this conversation. So, uh, really quick, uh, which is much gratitude, honor, and blessings to everybody here at this Zoom right now. And, and this podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to our show. Today's episode is produced in conjunction with Shira Levine. Our theme music is by Nico Holloman additional music by dancing pink orbs. To learn more about the Esalen Tribe of Monterey County and to see how you can support them, visit EsalenTribe.org. That's E-S-S-E-L-E-N Tribe.org.